Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, and uh, we'll read this morning verses 1 down through verse 17, Acts 21, 1 to 17. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, The Peace and Contentment of Doing God's Will. The Peace and Contentment of of doing God's will. Would you stand please? Let's begin reading together. Verse 1 says, And when he had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Potara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we'd come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another, and then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles." When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Father, we're so grateful for the narrative that we have been reading in the book of Acts. What a blessing to see how the early church conducted their lives and ministry. And Lord, how they laid it all on the line. They stood against the authorities. They stood against those who were persecuting them. And they did the will of God. Lord, they had almost nothing going for them that we in the world have today. And yet, it seems as though there was such great peace and contentment to their lives. Lord, show us this morning that being in the center of your will is the way to have that peace and contentment. 
May we, like the Apostle Paul, do the will of God at all cost. And Lord, if in any way we think otherwise, we pray that you would help us to make adjustments in our thinking and in our living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night and your boss calls you. He asks you if you have a moment that he has something very serious to talk to you about. He's been in meetings all day long at the office and you learn in that phone call that you have been the subject of those meetings. He lays out a plan for you. The company you work for is opening up a West Coast operation. They think it'll end up being huge for the company years down the road and may end up being a move that puts the company out in front of all of its competitors. But it's also a hugely risky move if it fails. Your name has come up to lead the charge, and if it should fail, you'll have spent a lot of your leadership chips that you may never can get back again. It'll also mean taking your children out of middle school and high school and moving all the way across the nation. But you also know that in the past, when colleagues have turned down opportunities... They're never again viewed quite the same with the head boss and oftentimes are moved out of the company altogether. On the other hand, your boss says, uh, as you know, I'm retiring in two years. You're up for taking over here if you stay. It looks pretty certain that you'll be a shoe-in. He tells you that you have two weeks to give them a decision. Your boss is a Christian, so he hangs up by saying, and I'll be praying for you. You hang up the phone wondering, what do I do? You're a Christian, so you're also thinking, what is God's will? You and your wife agonize for two whole weeks over the decision. Finally, the day comes that you have to give an answer. Did you make the right choice? Did you do the will of God? Folks, I want us to understand that the will of God is sometimes a very difficult matter. Sometimes the answers aren't a clear black and white. Sometimes different people are telling us things that what, what they think we should do. We're thinking one thing, and then on the other hand, they're telling us something different. And everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a conviction about what they think you should be doing with your life. Now, let's see how a scenario just like that plays out in this text in the life of the Apostle Paul. And what I want us to see this morning is that through knowledge of God's Word... Through obedience to God's word and a yielded heart to do the will of God regardless of the cost, you and I can discern and discover the will of God. 
Now, what we're going to see in the text this morning is discovering the will of God is not a quick fix. You can't put a quarter in a machine, make a quick turn, and behold, out pops the will of God. It's a process, and sometimes it is a painstaking and lengthy process. Now, if you want a sermon this morning on the will of God that tells you do A, B, and C, and bingo, here it is, this is not the sermon for you. Again, I want you to see that oftentimes discerning the will of God is a lengthy and a painstaking process. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is in discovering the will of God, the counsel of others is useful but not infallible. Useful but not infallible. Look again with me at a few verses here. In verse 4 it says, And through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Look at verse 10 and 11. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Then verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, not in this case, but oftentimes other Christian friends are invaluable in helping you and I to discover the will of God. The book of Proverbs says that in the presence of many counselors, there is wisdom and safety. And so, folks, oftentimes when we're dealing with weighty matters in our lives, it helps us a great deal to surround ourselves with some other believers who can give us wise counsel. We should do that. Now, what type of people should we look for? Number one, we ought to look for people who have a high regard for Scripture. Those who believe that God's Word is God's Word and that it can be trusted and that God's Word is the truth. We need counselors who have that kind of conviction in their lives. Secondly, we need to look for people who set a good pattern and a good example in their own Christian walk. And thirdly, we need to look for people that don't have some type of personal agenda to play out in the matter. But those are the type of people that we ought to look for. Often people find it helpful to go to their pastor or their youth minister or their Sunday school teacher or their deacon. Folks, don't ignore those that God has put around you to be spiritual leaders in your life. They can help you. And that's why leaders need to be the type of people that care for the sheep and look after the needs of the sheep. Now what usually happens though is that we end up talking to a co-worker. Maybe that co-worker is somebody who, who doesn't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Or if they do, they're the type of person who's not really concerned first and foremost about the Word of God and the will of God. But it seems like so oftentimes in the church, we end up going to people like that and asking them their opinion. And it shouldn't surprise us when they lead us down the wrong path. We need to be careful who we go to. You may even know some very down-to-earth, common-sense type people who just make good decisions in their lives. Obviously, those type of people have a lot to say. But you also need to factor in, do they have a heart for God? Do they love God with all their mind and heart and soul? And do they themselves want to exemplify a believer who knows and does the will of God? As we look at our text this morning, I need to let you know there are some people who believe that Paul was absolutely wrong in what he did here. Now, I wholeheartedly disagree with him, and I'll show you why in a moment. But there are some who say Paul failed to live out this principle that I've given you in point number one. There were people surrounding the Apostle Paul in his life and they kept trying to tell him not to do something and he turned around and he did it anyway. He was so blinded by the fact they would say that he wanted his fellow Jews to be saved that he was, going, he was willing to go to Jerusalem even though God didn't want him to. And so they liken the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 here to somebody like Abraham or David or Simon Peter. As we read the Scripture, we see that saints of God in the Old Testament like that, oftentimes, and in the New Testament, in the case of Simon Peter, they oftentimes had feet of clay. All the saints in the Bible had feet of clay. And we see the mistakes that they made. For example, what's the mistake that Abraham made? Abraham had that beautiful promise from God that God was going to lead him into a new land and God was going to look after him and make a new nation out of him and his descendants were going to be as numerous as the sand on the, on the seashore. And yet a famine came into the land. So what did Abraham do? In fear, he ran down to Egypt. And once he got into Egypt, he was afraid again because he was scared that Pharaoh would see his wife, how beautiful Sarah was, and and the, the Pharaoh would kill him to take Sarah as his own wife. And so what did Abraham do? Abraham lied. He lied. A saint of God, somebody in the book of Romans that is called the friend of God, and yet he ended up not telling the truth to Pharaoh. Then there's King David. We all know what King David did. King David is described as a man who who was after God's own heart, and yet David lusted after Bathsheba, ended up committing adultery with her, and had her husband Uriah put to death. And so he certainly failed. 
And then there's Simon Peter who not only denied the Lord one time, not even just twice, but three different times. This is the disciple whom Jesus had said, you're Peter and you'll be the rock and I'm going to build my church. Blessed are you, uh, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal to you who I am, but my Father who is in heaven. God gave such wonderful promises to Simon Peter. But Simon Peter denied Christ three times. And there are some writers who would say that the Apostle Paul is following into that same vein of failure here in Acts chapter 21. That he failed to listen to the godly counsel that the Lord had put around him. But folks, I've got to admit, I take an entirely different perspective. Now, whereas it is true that, that we are to evaluate the counsel of others, in this case, I don't think Paul was wrong. And the reason I say that is because a couple of chapters over, in fact, turn over to chapter 23, and I want you to see what the Lord says to Paul in verse 11. Verse 11 of Acts 23, uh, the Lord says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Paul, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. What did God want to do in Paul's life? He wanted to take Paul to Rome. You see, it was by Paul going to Jerusalem that he was going to get in trouble there and be arrested. He was going to appeal to Caesar and his case was going to go all the way to Rome. And so Paul needed to go to Jerusalem actually to fulfill God's plan for his life in getting him to Rome. Now, God didn't say how he was going to get Paul to Rome. He didn't let him know necessarily that he was going to get there through hardship. But God was going to get him to Rome. Some also say that in Acts chapter 20 verse 23, that's another verse that should have told Paul not to go because in that verse, the Holy Spirit had warned Paul that hardships were ahead of him. Paul is speaking there in that passage with the Ephesian elders telling them that he's on the way to Jerusalem, that he's bound in spirit even though he doesn't know what awaits him there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await him. But what I want you to see this morning is that, that that is not a command not to go. It's not a command not to go. God is simply giving Paul the warning that as he goes, he's going to face suffering. Well, folks, add to that Philippians chapter 1. I want you to turn over to Philippians chapter 1 for a moment because let's see what happened to Paul once he got to Rome. The book of Acts is going to end with Paul under house arrest. And in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The later do it out of love, not knowing that 
that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so again, folks, I just want you to understand what's going on here. Everybody's saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get in trouble. They're going to put you in prison. Bad things are going to happen. But all of that happens and Paul gets to Rome. Does Paul have any regrets? He says, not at all. I want you to understand that the hardships that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. Because there in Rome, Paul was chained to the praetorium guard, the elite Roman guard. And so every day he had a captive audience and he was sharing the gospel with them. And Rome was the most important city in the world in ancient times. And so Paul is able to preach the gospel to some of the most powerful men on the planet and and the city that is the most powerful city at the time on the planet. Folks, what I'm saying is Paul didn't view that as being bad. That was a good thing. He saw God's will being advanced through all of that. So I'm of the opinion that these other uh, Christians who advise Paul in chapter 21, they mean well. They were even speaking the truth about Paul's troubles that lay ahead, but but I'm not of the opinion that Paul should have taken their counsel. I think, as a matter of fact, that they were allowing their love for the Apostle Paul to cloud their judgment on what God's will was for Paul. They meant well. They were trying to save his skin, but that doesn't mean that they were necessarily right. You know, sometimes people who mean well can tell you to do something or not to do something, and they really do mean well. They're trying to look after your welfare, and you got to love them for that. But they may not necessarily be thinking about what does God want for you. A parent may not want a child going to a foreign mission field where they may never come back home again. Parent doesn't want to see their child grow up and go to college and, and go off on some mission field, become a career missionary. What happens if my child does that and, and they get on some foreign mission field and something ends up happening and I never see them again? Does that parent love that child? Yes, absolutely they love that child. But is that parent necessarily following God's will for that child? Maybe not. It may even be God's will for that child to end up dying for the cause of Christ. Folks, nobody wants to hear that, but it might be true. Will God sometimes lead us into trials? Will God lead us into hardship? Yes. God may at least allow hardship in your life or my life. He may even lead you into it. Listen to what James says in James 1, 2 through 5. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without a reproach and it will be given him. You see what James is saying there? God may allow hardship in your life, but God can use that hardship to grow you and to mature you and to accomplish God's purposes in and through you. Folks, I think what we see in all of these verses and, and, and in this passage here in Acts 21, Paul being determined to go at all costs, I think what we see in these verses is, is a direct rebuke to how we oftentimes view Christianity. What do we tend to say? We tend to say, if you'll just accept Jesus into your heart, your life is going to be abundant and everything's going to go your way. And we dangle motivations out in front of people that may or may not be true. And yes, Jesus gives you peace. Yes, Jesus gives you an abundant life. But from the world's perspective, he may not give you your best life yet. He gives you your best life in his eyes. But it may not be the best in the eyes of the world. Folks, it's hard for some people to understand what I'm about to say, but your Christian faith and my Christian faith may end up costing us dearly one day. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 12, all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're so spoiled today, we think everything about our Christian faith is supposed to be easy. Why, there are even preachers on TV who tell us that the Christian life is supposed to be easy. And if it's not easy, then something must be wrong with you. You must just not have enough faith. Folks, all of that is a lie. Our Christianity may cost us. It may cost us. You may be called to a place of hardship in your life to serve the Lord. Are you willing to do that? And so, yes, others around us, their counsel is invaluable, but you got to weigh their counsel against everything else because their counsel in and of itself may not be infallible. Second thing I want you to see here. In discovering the will of God, there must be a resolve to do it even at the risk of personal cost. In verse 13, look at what Paul says there. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see what Paul is expressing there? A totally yielded spirit. If God lets me live, great. If I end up in prison, fine. Even if I die, fine. If that's God's plan for me. Now, how honestly, folks, honestly, how many of us approach God's will that way? 
And yet it's the very same type of resolve that we see of the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus, the night he was arrested, he was praying in the garden. And you remember what he said? Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it. But nonetheless, not what I will, but your will be done. Paul is following the same type of resolve that we're taught about uh, concerning the life of Jesus. And you go back to that text in James 1 a minute, James 1, 5, that talks about asking for wisdom when you're in the midst of a trial. James goes on there to say, but let him ask in faith, not doubting, for not, let not the man who doubts think that, think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. James is not talking there about people who have honest doubts or questions. He's rather talking about the person trying to discern God's will in the midst of a difficult situation. And, and that person is saying, I've got my plan on the one hand here. I'd like to kind of see what God's plan is. And I'm going to look at God's plan up against my plan. And whichever one is I like the best, I'm going to go that direction. James says, let not that person think that he will receive anything from the Lord because he's an unstable man. Uh, He's unstable in all of his ways. He's tossed to and fro. Folks, if you want God to show you his will, there needs to be a resolve on my part and your part that we are going to do it. That we're going to do it. That's the yieldedness that the Apostle Paul is expressing here. He is resolved to do the will of God whatever that means for him. Are you and I willing to do the same? God doesn't reveal his will simply to give us a nice thought for the day. He reveals his will to change our lives. He reveals his will to those willing to do it. Jesus said in John 7, 17, If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching. You hear what Jesus is saying? If you're willing to do the will of God, God will show it to you. You got to be willing to do it. John said over in Revelation 12, 11, he said they, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Now the context of that passage is how the devil is going to unleash all of his fury against mankind in the end of times. And tribulation saints are going to go through horrible things. But John wants to lay out who it is that is going to gain the victory. He says that the ones who are going to gain the victory have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And that third thing is really the key there. They love not their lives even unto death. Folks, that's the key. As we are trying to discover the will of God, what means more to us, the will of God or our safety and comfort? 
I'm afraid that too often times we would have to say it's our personal comfort and safety that means more. But if we're going to know the will of God, everything, life itself even, has to take a back seat. Now think about it. What if God were calling you into a place in the world that you knew would be tough? And at the same time, your personal comfort ranks high to you as it does to all of us. And you knew, hey, if I step out of this boat and go this direction, it's going to be hard. Is a person weighing that probably going to do the will of God? Probably not. Probably not. But we need to be willing to. We've got to be willing to put it all on the line. And that's how the Apostle Paul was here. Everybody was telling him not to go. That imprisonment and hardship and trials and tribulations awaited him. But he was determined to do the will of God anyway. Several weeks ago I told you that Paul was the type of man that if somebody said, you know what, we're, we're going to take your life because you serve Jesus. Paul was the type that would say, great, absent from the body present with the Lord. They'd say, well, if that's your attitude, then we'll just let you live. He'd say, great to that too. You let me live, I'm going to have more time to preach the gospel. Folks, you can't defeat somebody like that. A Christian with that kind of attitude is in a win-win situation. I think the question for us this morning, are we willing to follow Christ regardless. What if this morning I, were, I was able to say to you, as you get up and leave this morning, you can exit through this door over here. And as you exit through door A over here, you're going to get everything you ever wanted. Peace, comfort, satisfaction. But you are also going to be 100% out out of the will of God. You go through this door and you're going to get what you want from the world, but you're also going to be living in disobedience to God and outside the will of God. Or you can go through door B over here and you can leave all of your comforts and security, but you will be 100% within the will of God. When you get up to leave this morning... You going to go through door A or are you going to go through door B? It's something for a believer to think about it. How much does the will of God mean to you? How much does the will of God mean for me? Certainly, I hope none of us ever come to choices like the Apostle Paul had here. But I want you to see he did have to face that choice. He, he did have to make decisions like that. And he went to Jerusalem and guess what? It ended up costing him his freedom. He was put in jail. He was shipped off to Rome. He did pay a high price. And then in his second imprisonment, he did actually even give his life for the sake of the gospel. Will we ever have to make choices like that? I hope not. 
But even now, there are choices that we have to make, right? Somebody at work, the boss at work might say, you need to do this. You need to lie on this report. You need to cheat here. You need to falsify this. And if you don't, then there's going to be consequences. What are you going to do? What are you going to do as a Christian? It ought to be obvious from a biblical standpoint of view what we do. But you know, oftentimes, like the, like the Bible says, the, 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 the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. What, what are we going to do in choices? The kind of choices that we have to face on our level. Again, may not be as intense as what Paul's going through here, but what about those choices that you do have to make that, that confront you in every day in your life? What are you going to do? Peer pressure at school. All the kids say, hey, come go this direction. With it. Here's what we're going to get into tonight. What are you going to do? Go with the crowd and be popular? Take a stand. Paul's resolve was whatever it costs me to do the will of God, that's what I am going to do. And I pray to God that each and every one of us would get to that point in our lives. Folks, we've got to remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, if any man is going to come after me and follow me and be mine, what's he got to do? He's got to deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow after me. You see, the Christian life's a whole lot more than just slipping out of the pew in the invitation time and coming forward and praying to receive Christ and being baptized and then going out the door and we just get busy about our life the way we want to live it. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Who wants to live a life of denial? None of us. But Jesus said, if you're going to be mine, that's what's required. You and I have to count the cost. What excuses are we making right now for not following the Lord, for not serving the Lord? Are we willing to lay those excuses down and say, God, in my life, I've reached a point in my life that I want to lay it all on the line. I want to follow you and do your will. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Third thing I want you to see here. In discovering the will of the Lord, there are multiple factors. And I'm going to tell you what those are. Don't worry. There are multiple factors. I've already given you two. I've said counsel from wise, mature Christians is certainly important. Again, not infallible as we see in our text today, but that doesn't mean it's not important. It is. Then secondly, as we've covered, there needs to be a resolve to do God's will, whatever the cost. But what are some other factors to consider? Thirdly, there needs to be the renewing of the mind. Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
You see what happens, we grow up in the world, when we were lost, growing up in the world, what do we do? We, we get flooded, our minds get flooded with all the messages in the world. Computer people, you, back in the old days, they used to have that saying, garbage in, garbage out. That's what happens. We grow up in the world thinking like the world, all that trash goes in, so what comes out? That's what comes out. But then we get saved. Now that we're saved, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be saturating ourselves with the Word of God. And then as we're doing that, we think, wow, you know what? I've been, I've been thinking this all along about my life. But here I see God saying something differently about that. And through a reading of God's Word, God begins to transform our thinking. He begins to renew our mind. We start thinking differently. And also as we study God's Word, guess what? 90% of the word of, uh, of the will of God is going to become clear to us anyway. Because there's a lot in the will of God that we question that, that God addresses somehow or another in here. For example, as a Christian man, how am I supposed to love my wife? Well, that's talked about in the Bible. How should a Christian treat those who aren't always so nice to, to him or her? What should a Christian think about sharing his or her faith? How should a Christian use his time and his money and his resources? Should we lie? Should we steal? Should we cheat? Should we be involved in the Great Commission? How should a believer pray? All of those are things we learn in God's Word as we read it. And so there's a lot of questions in life that would simply be answered concerning the will of God if we would just know God's Word. The renewing of the mind. That's a third factor you've got to consider if you're going to know and do the will of God. You and I have to become a student of the Scripture. Now, even if God doesn't address every situation you and I will ever face in our life, because the Bible, you'd have to have a train to carry the Bible if it covered every situation that everybody on planet Earth was ever going to face. But you know what? The Bible does lay down principles in addition to God's commands. We also find principles in the Word of God that do cover all of the situations of life. God's Word teaches us everything God wants us to know that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and then equips you and I to live as a mature believer. His Word tells us all that. But we're only going to find that out as we become students of the Word of God. But you know what happens so oftentimes? We neglect God's Word, and then we end up getting into some big-time crisis in our life, and it's kind of like a college student cramming for final exam. We think all of a sudden we can cram and find out everything. And you can't always do that. A fourth issue in, in discovering the will of God is obedience. 
Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, do you hear the promise that the Lord gives in that verse? If you obey him, he says, you're showing that you really do love him. And he says, that's the kind of person that God will manifest himself to. And so we've got to live in obedience to God if we want to know the will of God. We've got to obey in those things where where we know we should be obeying. Some people aren't living in obedience to God, but then in those areas of their life where they do want God to intervene. They want God to show them in that, but God, I, I'm keeping all these other areas to myself, you know. That's, that's hidden closets that I'm keeping away from you. But God, in this area, I want you to show. God says, no, 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 no. Every door has to be open to me. Are you willing to obey me? Are you willing to obey me where you know you should be obeying me? If you're not willing to do that, why should God point you in some direction that you might want? Obedience. And then lastly, of course, there's prayer. Asking God. Jesus said in Luke 11, God will give His Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. God will will show you His way. Prayer. But folks, it's, it's all of those things. If we had time, we could even add more things to that. But what I want you to see this morning when it comes to the will of God, it's not quick fixes. Too often, we just want a quick fix. We want that drive-through experience. And God's will doesn't work that way. So wise counsel. Personal resolve and commitment to do God's will. The renewing of your mind with God's word. Obedience, prayer. All of those things are things you and I are going to have to pay attention to in order to know the will of God. It is a process. And it is painstaking at times. But it's immensely rewarding. You know, sometimes people say, you know, Pastor, it sure would be good if if God spoke to us the way he spoke to Joshua, for instance. Before they had the canon of Scripture, personally, I'd rather have what we have today. Because we have all 66 books make up the Bible, and we live on this side of the cross. But back in olden times, for instance, God said to Joshua, Joshua, lead the people. Get around the city of Jericho. This day, march this many times around it. This day, march this many. Finally, on this day, march this many times. God spoke to them directly. Boy, we would love that to happen sometimes. That's not the way God speaks to us today. But that still doesn't get us off the hook. 
The New Testament says that you and I are to understand the will of the Lord. And it's an imperative there in Ephesians chapter 5. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It is an imperative that you and I understand the will of the Lord. No bubblegum machine answers here. Put in your dime, turn the thing, get your bubblegum out. A lifelong journey of applying these principles I've given you today to your walk with God, to know the will of God. Difficult at times, yes. Painstaking, yes. Rewarding, yes. Peace and contentment. Would you pray with me this morning? This morning, would you say that following Jesus Christ and doing His will tops the list of priorities in your life? If it doesn't top the list of priorities in your life, I I hope you can see this morning what you're missing. If you're missing out on the will of God, you are missing out on the greatest thing in your life. If there's a sovereign God of the universe, as the Bible states, which we certainly believe there is, then folks, what could be more important than knowing His will? Everything else pales in comparison to that. Will you resolve to do His will at all costs? Lord, if I have to sacrifice my comfort, if I have to do something that gets me out of my comfort zone that I don't want to do, if I have to speak to somebody I don't really want to speak to, if I have to forgive somebody that I'd a whole lot rather hold a grudge against them. But if you're not willing to settle those issues you will not know the will of God. Pray, read His Word, seek wise counsel, obey what you know to obey. Again, folks, don't treat God like some magic wand or a bubblegum machine where you put a few things in and get out what you want. It doesn't work that way. Lifelong journey of obedience and prayer and renewing the mind with God's Word. Father, I pray that we would be a people who would seek your will even above life itself. Lord, we buy into the lies of the devil and the lies of the world that what we can see and hear and touch in the world around us is so much better, and it's not. True wealth, true treasure, true peace and contentment is found in you. 
May we seek for it with our whole heart and mind. May we know and do your will. Jesus said that's life. That's what life is all about. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.